0: Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines.
1: Twice every weekday on Vision and on demand in the Free Vision Christian Media app.
0: Coming up today on the story.
1: Well, my first 3 weeks at university I was going okay, but unfortunately one of the subjects I chose was philosophy. And uh, this tall, dark, handsome philosophy student came over to my room in college and talked me out of God in two hours. Before the end of the night, I was just... I had become a total atheist.
0: The Story G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, in 1969, when students were protesting in the streets to stop the Vietnam War... A young lady named Wendy Boniface was disgusted by the behaviour she saw on TV and said, there's no way am I going to do that. Five years of teaching Sunday school and many years of good marks at school had trained her in discipline and obedience. Little did she know that within a year, she would be out protesting herself and that socialism would become her god. Today, Wendy Boniface joins Eric Scatterbo on the phone from the north coast of New South Wales to share her remarkable story. Wendy, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you very much.
2: Glad to have you with us on the program. And before we get started, I should say that your son is radio host Matt Prater from the History Makers program. Is that right?
1: That's very right. (laughs) He's larger
2: than life, I <laughs> That's right. So he's all over the country with his program, History Makers, heard on many radio stations. And surprisingly, yeah. he's kind of known as a conservative Christian. He actually at one point asked former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd a question from a Christian perspective that caused a bit of a stir a few years ago. So he's kind of known as being a conservative. Is that right? That's right, yes. So it's kind of surprising to hear that his mother at one point kind of went through a left-wing phase in your life. I mean, you were extremely left-wing. You even carried a copy of Mao's Little Red Book. Is that right? (laughs)
1: That's exactly right. It's quite an interesting story.
2: Well, we want to get right to it. We're going to find out about you protesting at your university. But first, let's find out about your background growing up. Where were you born and raised?
1: I was born in a lovely little country town called Lismore, also in the northern New South Wales, and um, just a little middle class town. And I was part of a middle class family, but the middle child of a middle class family, very normal. Mm-hmm. Um, went to the Sunday school down the road, and, um, and eventually, when I was 12, I started teaching Sunday school for five years. So I did have quite a conservative little background.
2: And so you were quite happy growing up like that?
1: Yeah, it was a happy childhood
2: and as we heard in the introduction, you were quite disgusted by the idea of people out protesting things.
1: Yes, we used to see them on the television, um, I think around about 1970, 1968 or something, at the big protests, and Mm -hmm. I used to think, oh, I'm never going to be like that.
2: (laughs) But that wasn't uh, what happened. Actually, you joined them, so to speak, in a few years. Uh,
1: Within a year. Oh, within a year.
2: Wow, that quick. So what happened?
1: Well, my first three weeks at university, I was Going okay, I, you know. I got a scholarship to go to Armadale University, and I was doing quite well. But unfortunately, one of the subjects I chose was philosophy,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, as well as being, you know, my teaching subjects as well. And and uh, this tall, dark, handsome philosophy student came over to my room one evening in college and talked me out of God in two hours. Wow! He was. He was very clever. He even told me his IQ was some huge number. And, cause I was quite <laughs> impressed by that. Three years older than me as well. And, mm-hmm. um, before the end of the night, I was just, I had become a total atheist within two hours. And I still remember the shock. You know, my body even shook as I suddenly realized that you know, there was no God and, and that, um, uh, you know what hope was there for me anymore, and I've been been sold a lie all those years. It was a huge shock to my system.
2: Wow. Well, now let's let's try to understand what happened. I mean, for you to lose your faith within two hours. Oh. Two
1: hours well you see i'd never i'd never been um never read my Bible, even though I was a Sunday school teacher. Mm-hmm. I just wow. used to know the story uh-huh. and i I had no one praying for me. My parents were just sort of nominal christians and and I hadn't joined a church by that stage, so you know I was an easy target
2: yeah and you, this was the first time you were away from home,
1: yeah, first three weeks away from home, and that was it,
2: so you weren't really grounded in your faith, you could say,
1: well, you know, I thought I loved God. You know, I thought I loved him, but um, it seems that it it was really only, you know, an emotional love rather than, you know, anything more.
2: Well, for him to talk you out of your faith that quickly, it doesn't sound like it uh, was the foundation of your life.
1: He was very clever. He Hmm. he was an ex-Catholic himself, and he'd been, I think, school captain of his high of his Catholic school. So he was very bitter against the Catholic Church. So Hmm. that made it, you know, he more or less confused Catholicism totally with Christianity. And Mm -hmm. I was totally convinced by the end of the two hours.
2: And so that completely rocked your world. What happened next?
1: It did. Well, I I, the next morning I woke up and it was like I was a dead person. I thought, this is how do I how do I live now? Because I always lived according to the Ten Commandments and, you know, according to the way I'd been brought up, and I thought, I've got to work out a whole new value system. How am I going to do this? (laughs) And I guess I became attracted to humanism, because humanism's kind of, you know, Christianity without God, if you like, you know, caring about people, but Mm -hmm. not um, without God there.
2: Yeah, and so you went left-wing, you went into socialism and humanism and that type of philosophy?
1: Well, eventually socialism, yes, because I began to see everybody, all the big rich people as being the ones who were ripping people off, and, and they were making people become religious in order to, you know, keep their minds blinded, and that's how I saw it all. I, it, was, it was a total change.
2: Yeah, you just kind of swallowed this all hook, line, and sinker, this kind of left-wing philosophy. Yes, but sure. you had good intentions. It's you worth. wanted to help humanity get better. Is that right?
1: Well, I still had a passion, Mm -hmm. yes, for for humanity. Well, that's what humanism is. They they do still care about humanity. Mm -hmm. They just want to go about it by themselves rather than, you know, with God's help.
2: But as we will see, one of the themes throughout your life, as life continued for you, was that you weren't finding peace. Is that right?
1: Uh, Well, funnily and interesting enough, isn't it? There was me looking for peace, but... I, I became very depressed, and mm-hmm. I remember a friend of mine telling me once, he said, you know why you're depressed, don't you? He said, because you, you've lost your faith in God, and you've got faith in man, and yet but mankind is not worth having faith in.
2: Well, the Bible tells us that humans are valuable. We're all, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, so if you put your faith in men who yeah. are going to let you down, you will be let down.
1: Yeah, it was, very, it was quite a depressing time. I mm-hmm. actually even remember going to the doctor and Ending up getting some, um, well, he, he didn't actually prescribe Valium, but he told me about, you know, if I needed it. So, okay, this is pretty scary. But that's what happened. You know, you can once you lose your faith in God, mankind is hardly, you know, worth having hope about.
2: Hmm. And then eventually socialism became your new God.
1: It did. And that's what I became a passionate about socialism once I realized, oh, there is hope for mankind after all. This is the way forward. And that was when that sort of gave me something to live for. And when the protest started happening, you know, against the Vietnam War, I just joined in. Oh, loved it! It was such a thrill, getting mm. out in the streets with all the others. And you know, we had we had a, a, a cause. You know, we were caring about the world. You know, against the, the big capitalists that were out there trying to, trying to destroy everything. You know.
2: So your story is pretty much a cautionary tale that this could happen to any young idealist who's going off to university away from family for the first time and trying to figure out what they believe in?
1: Well, I think that's right. That's why I wanted to share the story, actually, mm-hmm. because, you know, I, I, there are so many people that get caught up in this sort of thing without and other people aren't around praying for them and caring for them. I had nobody praying for me at oh. all. And, you know, I was really an easy target for the devil, wasn't I? For yeah. For, Falling down in this.
2: Yeah, it sounds like you were asked tough questions for the first time, and you had nobody, uh, an older brother or a sister in the faith, to help you journey through those tough questions.
1: Yeah, there was nobody. Okay. Just, the, just the other humanists who are all telling me, oh, yes, you've seen the light. You know, this hmm. is the light. <laughs> but interesting enough, this didn't last for very long because. I still had that, you know. They talk about that hole inside you where God used to be. Mm-hmm. So I, I had that hole inside me where God used to be, and it began to be filled with astrology, of all things. And mm-hmm. I became very, very adept at knowing everyone's star signs. And you mm-hmm. know, it didn't really match with with um atheism, but it sort of gave me that little bit of spirituality that kept me kept me afloat, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. And then eventually, you you met your future husband.
1: Yes, well, second year uni, um, he was in the same ditch with me. So we, we were fellow radicals and we, we, you know, got married at the end of our university. Even though people were beginning to live with one another at that stage, that was in 1969, mm-hmm. 1970, they were just starting to live together rather than get married. But I still hadn't reached that stage of being able to do that, um, because I was still, you know, carrying my old Sunday school values, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we got married in our final year, our due bed year, and um, and had our first baby mm-hmm. uh, right at the end of the, the exam. And of course, this was exactly the time when um, Labor first came in in 1972, December 1972. I don't know whether you remember because of the Golf Whitlam era, but mm-hmm. it was a very exciting era. And uh, we actually called our first child. Uh, well, it was Adam, and uh, his initials were ALP. So, <laughs> uh, I often laughed about that Many as the years went by. I thought, oh, I hope I don't feel bad about that one day. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, it was very exciting, you know, after 23 years in the wilderness, um, to suddenly have this labor coming in. You know, we thought, yes, we're finally making progress. We're, mm-hmm. we're really making a difference to the world, you know.
2: And then in your quest for finding peace, you started to dabble in Transcendental Meditation, or TM?
1: TM! Well, what was happening is my, the eldest child was not um, a peace child. He was a very, very challenging child, Very cried all the time, and was very demanding and hyperactive, and, oh, I lost sleep, and I just lost all any little peace I had. And there I was puffing away, smoking away all the way through it, and drinking, mm-hmm. because that's what you do when you try, when you've run out of peace and you just mm. f- try to grab anything you can find, puffing away, you know, and um, and eventually a friend came along from the past and he said, "Oh, transcendental meditation, this will give you the peace you need," and he said, "This is on the this will help you towards world peace as well." Mm. I said, "Oh, this sounds wonderful!" <laughs> so of course I got sucked in by it, and it was a totally um. Oh, It was a Hindu thing, but I didn't know that. I just wanted the peace side of it. I wasn't interested in the Maharishi side, fortunately. Mm -hmm. But even so, you know, it only lasted probably two or three years in my life, and it it gave me a little bit of a break from my demanding child, you know, Mm. who was very, very challenging.
2: So that was a phase that you went through, and then you got involved with the Down to Earth Movement. What is that?
1: What was the Down to Earth Movement? Okay, well... Matthew was born in that in that second town I was in by the way. Matthew was born then and he was a really, really placid child and oh interestingly enough he was just so full of love, that little kid, and it just it sort of impacted my heart and it was quite he was quite different from the first child and there was a huge fighting going on between the two of them. The eldest one was very jealous of the second one. And and the down to earth movement was coming up at the time, and people were going down to Canberra and all of these places. And so we took our two boys, two little boys, down to the down to earth movement at Canberra, and we we just saw a whole new society emerging. We thought this is what our new life's going to be. There were people walking around naked, and they were smoking soap. and we didn't get into that, funnily enough, because I was still a little bit you know a little bit Sunday schoolish in the mm. uh, in in many of my ways still, but. Um, by the same token, I was fascinated by it nonetheless. And, you know, I was going to, I saw myself bringing up these two boys um, uh, in a brand new lifestyle, but mm-hmm. uh, which, and it lasted about a year. We went, to, came back to our town at uh, Tamworth at the time, and we um, started up Down to Earth movement in Tamworth. And we were having these little festivals.
2: So the Down to Earth movement, is that kind of getting back to nature and growing your own food? Is that yes, kind of what that was that's all about? Once. Okay. So that was yet another phase you went through?
1: Well, I think it was part of the same phase. It was mm-hmm. just, Trying to add on to, you know, how do you live now that you've got children? You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it was okay to live it before you had children, but this day, you know, we were getting together with a lot of other families that had little kids as well, and we were, and we were all trying to bring them up in a brave new world, if you like. And we really saw ourselves as pioneers of this brave new world.
0: You're listening to the story. Our guest today is Wendy Boniface, who, within two hours, lost her faith in God when she was at university. She then went on to become a humanist, and socialism was her God. We'll find out how God works in her life and tugs her heart back to Him when we return. The Story Today we're hearing Wendy Boniface's remarkable life journey. As we heard before the break, Wendy grew up in a good Christian home, believed she was a good Christian girl and even taught a Sunday school class. But then when she went to university, a young philosophy student talked her out of believing in God in just two hours. She then went on to become a humanist and socialism was her God. Now we're going to hear what happened next in her life as she continues her chat with Eric Scatterbo.
2: So young, idealist, but yet you still couldn't find that peace that you were craving for.
1: Yeah, no peace at all. No mm-hmm. peace. I, I, you know, I was, we were, I was saying we we're all trying drugs and alcohol and whatever we could find to get peace in our life, but, but we still thought we were doing the right thing and we felt very noble about the whole thing. Hmm.
2: And then you were pregnant again?
1: Well, what happened was my husband got a job at at beautiful Crofts Harbour, which is a gorgeous coastal town in New South Wales. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, finally, I'm going to get over my depression. I'm going to be happy now Mm -hmm. in this lovely town, you know, with the beaches and everything. But as I arrived there, it turned out I was pregnant without realizing it. And I remember an old neighbor of mine said, oh, she can't even handle the two kids she's got now. How is she going to survive with this one? But I started going to Nursing Mother's Association and there was a Christian there, a real Christian, the first one I'd met. Mm -hmm. And um, for ages and ages, and she started saying, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. And I thought, Jesus, how could he? He's a dead man. How could he help me? I I saw him as a historical figure, Mm -hmm. but I didn't see him as, you know, as Messiah or God or anything. And I said, how could that be? But she continued. She actually pressured me in a way that I, I really didn't like. But she loved me as well, and she was as kind as can be to me. And I thought, I'm not used to this sort of behavior. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and she was just so beautiful. And when my third child eventually came, you know, there I was. I actually ended up going to church the first time in ages because I'd called out to God, you know, while, during a moment of desperation, God, I really, if you're there, I need your help. Mm-hmm. And the first day along at church, um, the, the preacher actually preached the story of the prodigal son. And he held his arms open wide, and he said, this is how God welcomes you back when you're strange. And I thought, oh my goodness, I've been the prodigal son. And I remember the story. And it's just, you know, I can't say I was born again that day, but it was the beginning of my road home, road home back to God. So
2: So the very first time you returned to church in several years, you're hearing the story of the prodigal son and how God welcomes you back.
1: Yes. Isn't that amazing?
2: Wow. That's just like God, isn't
1: it? How good is God?
2: And then what happened?
1: Then what happened? Well, it took another two years. Well, I had another interesting experience, too. My five-year-old boy, Mm -hmm. first week at school, or second week at school or something, and he said, Mom, I've heard about God today. He said, how come you never told me about God? Mm. And I suddenly realized, oh my goodness, I've given up. All these years, you know, I haven't said anything. And what if God is true, you know? So that was part of my my quest. I had Mm -hmm. to find out whether God was real or not because I didn't want to get sucked in by anything else. I knew I'd been sucked in by some of these other things. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to find out the truth. And, you know, that little boy come home, you know, he he was quite spiritual. It was quite amazing. You know, he really wanted to know about God. And and when I found out that God was real, you know, he was very quick to accept him Mm -hmm. and, you know, become a Christian. And, of course, Matt... Came along with the road as well, and Matthew mm-hmm. just loved God right from the start. So,
2: so it was lovely
1: to see the change. Yeah,
2: isn't that interesting that God used your child to kind of nudge your heart toward Him? Yes, that's wonderful. It is. Well, as the Bible it says, is. "Out of the mouths of babes,
1: exactly. God uses in, children." Yeah, and you know something that's interesting? I've been as I started teaching Scripture as soon as I was born. I was born again in 1981, then, and mm-hmm. I started teaching Scripture after three months of being born again. I read my Bible through in three months from cover to cover.
2: <laughs> wow, you were hungry. And
1: then a lady from our church said, oh, would you like to come and teach scripture? And I said, yes. And I've always had a scripture a kindergarten class ever since. So I've been teaching scripture for about 35 years now. Fantastic. Because I recognize how important five-year-olds are. They've got a wonderful little spirituality about them. Mm-hmm. They listen and they've taken everything they say and they go home and they ask, talk to their parents about things and you know, it's just been one of my greatest joys teaching scripture to kindergartens for the, at least 35 to 40 years now. So.
2: Well, as the Bible says, God's Word never returns void, so you're planting those seeds in their young hearts.
1: Yes, so lovely. And, so and how- then later on, I eventually our marriage eventually finished up uh, 15 years after I got born again, because my mm. husband never really took to it, even though he was mm. a nice man. He never really took to um, Christianity. But twelve years later, God found me a godly husband, and mm-hmm. um, and we ended up getting married. Um, uh, and we've been past we pasted a church for ten years, and and I've also been a school chaplain for the last six years, and I've only just retired from that. So I love to be able to take you know the gospel into the kids. Not that you can say much about you know as a chaplain, you can't say much about God, but at least you can go in and love the kids mm-hmm. and show them a lot mm-hmm. of love and affection, which they really really crave. So that's been a great part of my life for the last ten years. So. Uh,
2: so, as we've been hearing throughout your life story, you wanted that peace inside of your heart, and you tried, as we've heard, various ways, but nothing worked well. It doesn't sound like being a Christian was just a phase. It sounds like it stuck. It, it, it was the answer. Would you say so?
1: It was definitely not a phase. No, It was, it was the answer, not only to my questions that I had about life, mm-hmm. but also to a new life, a new way of living, which mm-hmm. I was one of the passions that I had a better way of living, and also the peace in my heart. Hmm. You know, I was actually considered quite an anxious and depressed person before I found Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it was partly because, you know, you're trying to understand life and you're trying to go through the troubles. That life has so many trials. Mm-hmm. And going through them without prayer and without God is so challenging. Mm-hmm. And also, once you're forgiven, too, once you lose that forgiveness burden from you, that takes away so much of the anxiety as well. Plus, you learn how to forgive other people. Mm-hmm. And that makes a difference to, to, to um, your peace as well. And that's one of the reasons why, I just, you know, whenever I see people anxious and depressed, I, I really, really so want them to know about Jesus because He is the one who takes away all that anxiety as we cast our burdens on Him. Mm-hmm. You know?
2: So if someone's listening today and they are maybe their first year in university, young and idealistic, just like you were, what would you yeah. say to them?
1: Well, I'd say get into a church quickly mm-hmm. and make sure you're, you're accountable with other people because that is um, uh, that was something that I didn't have in that first three weeks. I was so busy looking at all the other things that were going around. There's so much to look at in a university. Um, and I got caught so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't say don't do philosophy because I don't think philosophy itself um, <laughs> um, was what did it. But mm-hmm. it was the fact that I was happened to be You know, with that philosophy student. But but I do say, become accountable to somebody and have someone praying for you before you go. Mm -hmm. Make sure you've got people that are there loving you and praying for you because that was what I missed out on.
2: And also, of course, those deep questions in life, you need to go through those so that you're not caught off guard, kind of like you were.
1: Yes, that's right. I think I'm really a great believer in apologetics. Mm -hmm. And I haven't. I hadn't learned apologetics, you know, I was just in a mainline church and we never did anything like that. It was just, you know, the gospel stories, which were nice, but that was about all we ever did at church. So, um, Apologetics is brilliant and I, I really say let's get our young ones into apologetics and mm-hmm. train them up how to how to answer these questions. Because, you know, we have the answer, they don't, but they just he just fooled me into thinking that he had the answers.
2: Well, of course, you've heard the uh, phrase, uh, the only dumb question is the one you don't ask. Uh, and, <laughs> and so we as Christians are supposed to question, 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 but not just end questioning. We're supposed to yeah. get answers and learn about defending our faith, which is called yep. apologetics. And apologetics, that's that's yeah. how we grow. Our, our doubts and questions about things are what motivates us to learn more about God in this world. And that's uh, what helps us to get stronger in our faith. Yep. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wonderful story with us today.
0: Thank you for asking me. That was Eric Scatterbo chatting with Wendy Boniface, who at one time was an atheist humanist and socialism was her God. But of course, as we heard, she is now a born-again Christian and Jesus is the Lord of her life. Also, as Eric mentioned at the beginning of today's program, Wendy is the mother of Matt Prater, who's the host of the History Makers radio program heard on stations throughout Australia. Another thing about Wendy is she writes poetry and has a whole book of poetry that she's written. If you'd like to contact Wendy and maybe find out about her book of poetry, you can reach her through Matt's History Makers website. It's historymakersradio.com. That's historymakersradio.com. Finally, we'll end today's program with one of Wendy's poems, which really encapsulates the journey she's been on.
1: It's called From Protest to Prayer. I was a protester long ago. We marched to stop the war. With banners high, we linked our arms and helped to change the law. We shouted peace, but knew it not. Our lives were full of zeal. We hated many things we saw. The world had no appeal. Then came marriage, work, and kids. The protests had to wait. Our lives became a trial for us. The stress involved was great. What was the meaning of this life? I started on my search. I tried out many things and gods, then found myself in church. One day, to my surprise, I met the Lord of life. The peace he gave amazed me. He took away my strife. Now I'm marching yet again, yet with a different vision, to tell the world about the Lord. It's called the Great Commission. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He has things well in hand. We can change the wrongs we see by praying for our land. So come on, church, and rally round. Let's join in one accord. Link arms for this land we love, for Jesus Christ our Lord.
0: That's Wendy Boniface reading her inspiring poem. Well, thanks for joining us for Wendy's story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story... We were driving in the work car one day and I said, oh, hey, Carol, I've got some good news and bad news. Um, The bad news is I've got another job and I'm leaving. She's like, oh, no, I can't believe it. All the other sales reps have left and now you're going to leave. And I thought, oh, this is a good sign. She's going to miss me. The good news is I I just wanted to say that I've got really strong feelings for you. Her, Her jaw dropped open. She was just like, what? She had no idea that I was interested in her at all, you know. Matt Prater is the host of the History Makers radio program and interviews people from all over Australia. Next time, he'll have the tables turned on him as Eric Scatterbow interviews him about his life journey, including how he became a Christian and how he met his wife. That's radio host Matt Prater sharing his story next time. The story, just another way vision is connecting faith to life.